as that song got started, you may or may not have caught that as that song got started, it started with, are you hurting and broken within? And if we were all really going to truthfully answer that question, are you hurting and broken within? Yes. Yes, most of the time. There are joys in life for sure. We have hope in Christ, of course. But are you broken and hurting within? I've, I often um, have heard and sometimes use an expression, if you're breathing, you're broken. It's just the reality. It's, not, it, it's, it's okay to acknowledge that, that, that part of our lives is brokenness and, and pain and sin and hurt. And, uh, and yet the Father's arms are open wide, aren't they? We want to come to him this morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors. We're going to get into God's word here together in just a moment. Um, but if you're breathing, you're broken. And, and when we are broken and because of, of sin's impact in our lives and the hurt that we experience, sometimes we don't take the right approach to things. When it comes to following Jesus, sometimes we don't approach him right. We're not asking the correct questions to find what he wants for us and how he wants to work in our lives. And so grab your Bible and open to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 2. Mark chapter 10, verse 2. And uh, we're going to see some folks come to Jesus. And I want us to think about their approach this morning and where they're coming at the problem from and how we should approach Jesus. Mark chapter 10, we'll start at verse 2. Let me pray. Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would help me to get out of the way, that you would use me as you see fit, but mostly, God, that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you that you have given us, followers of Jesus, your spirit. By your spirit, would you illuminate help the text, the scriptures, help us to understand and hear from you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's see what question is being asked of Jesus and what approach is being taken to the topic at hand. Verse 2, the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, to test Jesus, they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So, so right away we see that the, the folks coming to Jesus with a question are, are, are coming kind of counter to him, right? They're coming up against him. It says right there, they're, they're coming to test him. They're, they're trying to trap him. They want to see what he's going to say. They think they know what he should say, or they think they know what the correct answers are, but they're hoping to expose Jesus as someone who's uh, opposed to God's law, who's going to, maybe they're going to trick him into saying something that goes against what God has put forth. They're hoping that Jesus will say something that goes against what has become accepted practice at the time. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, they asked? Verse 3. So Jesus answered them with another question. What did Moses command you? And they said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And in a little bit, we'll, look, we'll talk a little bit more about the background of this. They're, they're referring to Deuteronomy 24. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And they're coming to him with this kind of very specific legal question. They're interested in regulations, in rules, in details. But we're going to soon see that Jesus' answer, he wants, wants better than, than black and white rules and regulations. We'll see that Jesus' answer goes to the heart. 
goes to what God's best is, what God wants for us. So as verse 1 states, their line of questioning is an effort to test Jesus. But I want to point out uh, that I think too often our approach to marriage is, is a similar question. Perhaps too often in our own marriages or in our culture or in uh, the marriages of those around us, we approach with a similar kind of question. Well, what if things don't work out? When things get tough, what questions do we ask about the topic of marriage? What approach do we take when we go to Jesus desiring to learn what God has for us? What questions do we ask? What approach do we take? Perhaps too often the approach is, how can I get a divorce? How can I get out of here? Or I was discussing with a couple of different people this week that are in positions like mine to hear from you in the midst of pain. But too often the conversation basically goes something like, tell me it's okay to get a divorce. Are we, are we looking for an easy way out? Are we looking for an out clause right from the beginning? But is that the right question to ask? Is that the right approach to take when it comes to the topic of marriage? Let's say that you wanted to um, learn to be a pilot. Let's say that you wanted to fly an airplane. This is a hobby you've had in mind for a while. You thought, man, I've always wanted to learn to be a pilot, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, and I'm going to take some lessons, and you get to the airport, and you get to the training instructor, and you say, I want to be a pilot. I want to learn how to fly a plane. And your first question is, hey, what steps do I take in order to make a crash landing? Is that where you start? Is that the right approach to learning to fly a plane? Let's say you um, want to be successful in war. You're in the military. You want, to, you want to be successful in a battle. You want to win the battle. So you go to the manual and you flip to the section that says how to make a retreat. It doesn't make any sense. If we want to learn something, if we want to do our best at it, is that the right approach? Remember, I'm the one that's like, okay for you guys to respond. <laughs> is that the right approach? What about if you're into sports and you want to win the game? Anybody ever played sports and want to win the game? I'm a pretty competitive person. And if I come to a, to a basketball game and I've made the playoffs and my team is contending for a championship, I'm going to go over to the league commissioner and I'm going to say, hey, who do I need to contact if my team wants to forfeit? Is that the right approach? Is that the right question to come to the table with? Jesus says no. Verse 5, Jesus says to them, it's because of your hardness of heart that Moses wrote that command. In other words, Moses permitted divorce. Moses didn't command divorce. Moses permitted divorce because of your hardness of heart. Because you were, you were taking the wrong approach. 
There's not a problem with what God originally intended for marriage. There's no problem with what God originally intended for marriage. There's no problem with the steps that Moses took to pick up the pieces. The problem, Jesus says, is with our hardness of heart. We humans are sinful, both by our nature, we're born sinful in rebellion against God, and we are sinful, we go against him by our choices. Left to ourselves, you and I, don't we? Left to ourselves, you and I live contrary to God's good purposes. And that wreaks havoc in our lives. Not just in the area of divorce, but in in so many areas of our lives when we live in contradiction to God's good purposes, it wreaks havoc in our lives. Hard hearts, hard hearts look out for number one. Hard hearts want what's best for me. Hard hearts are looking for something that feels good and is convenient. Hard hearts think, well, if it's broke, I throw it away. Or I trade it in. I get another one. One of the most difficult phone calls I've ever made was to a friend, and not just a friend, but a groomsman in my wedding, married with four children. And I got him on the phone, and I had to have a conversation somewhere along the lines of, brother, stay with your family. Your wife is willing to work it through to do whatever it takes to make a better relationship. Trust me, brother, this is not best for your children. Dude, you're asking the wrong question. You're taking the wrong approach. You're wondering how to get out of it. It's the wrong approach. That friend has made a disaster of his life, in my opinion. He walked away from the Lord and he walked away from his family. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that God is doing a redemptive, restorative work in her life and in the kids' lives. But that's a mess. Do we take marriage seriously enough to make phone calls like that? Do we take... Um, Do we love people enough in our lives to engage with them at that messy level? Uh, This is a side note. When I do a wedding, I talk to the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, and I make sure that you know that you're more than pretty dressing for the ceremony. You're not just standing there to look sharp. You're witnesses to a covenant marriage relationship between God and between two people. So when my groomsman, he, wasn't, he was a witness to my wedding, I wasn't a witness to his, but we got to go. We got to go to him. Try to be used by God for help, for good. 
So if you want to fly an airplane, you don't think about crash landings. If we want to win a battle or win a sports game, we don't plan for retreat or forfeit. So why, if we want what's best for our marriages, if we want to discover what God has in mind for the marriage relationship, why then do we start by asking the question of, what happens if it goes wrong? What are my options? So here's a news flash. We interrupt this difficult topic to bring you this report. This past Thursday, October 5th, Amy and I enjoyed a Starbucks date marking 20 years since our first date. (laughs) So uh, that's not our first date, but it's as close of a picture as I could come up with. It's a fair amount of time ago. And, um, and we're not perfect. I'm far from perfect, but we're in it together. We're in it to win it. And um, by God's grace, um, it'll go on and on. Uh, we're going strong. So since the days of those two, we've, we've never researched divorce laws. We've never... Uh, We've never needed to consult a lawyer wondering, well, if uh, things go wrong, wonder where my money's going to go. We've never uh, had divorce paperwork in a file cabinet just in case. Why? Well, obviously because Amy and I intend to, and I believe will, be married until death do us part by God's grace. So we determined early on that the D word would not be part of our vocabulary. It's just off the table. It's never been considered an option. So if you're married or hope to be, is that going to be your approach? Is that the approach you're going to take? Uh, one more thing I want to mention furthermore about my own situation and walk with Jesus and my own relationship with Amy. If I were ever to do or say or even think anything so stupid as to jeopardize the amazing marriage relationship I have with my lovely wife, I can tell you, I can think of at least 12 dudes, most of whom are bigger than me, who I have given permission to, no, 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 not permission to, instructions to come to my house, knock on my door, punch me in the face, kick me where it counts, (laughs) slash my tires. I know, I'm being silly, but I'm dead serious. To do whatever it dang takes that I'll do the right thing, that I'll follow God, that I'll stay with my wife. I appreciate that, but it's not about me. I'm using me as an example of, are our marriages, are we taking that approach to our marriages? Are those the questions? Are we coming at it wrong or are we coming at it correctly? What measures are we taking to protect our relationships? Uh, Is that the approach we take to marriage or something lesser? Let's go back to that line of questioning in our Bibles there. When the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask about divorce, I mentioned Deuteronomy 24, and, and I, 
Uh, you might want to jot that down and look it up later. We don't, I don't have time to go into every detail here, but Moses did not command divorce. He simply permitted it. What Moses did command in Deuteronomy 24.4 is that a man can't remarry a woman he'd already divorced. The situation in Deuteronomy 24 is, okay, you divorced her. Then she gets married, and then she gets divorced again. You can't remarry her. And what Moses was doing was protecting the women from exploitation. Moses' command didn't command divorce. It permitted it in certain circumstances to protect the woman from exploitation. In the midst of a fallen world, sin has entered the world. We have... We as people are sinful. Things are not as God intended them to be. Can I get an amen? From the beginning of the Bible, we see how things were intended for God to be in relationship with him and to walk with him and to have our needs met by him. And since the entrance of sin into the world, we live in brokenness and things are not as God intended them, them to be. He will put them back right someday. But in the meantime, things are not the way God intended. Moses was doing the best he could to preserve God's ideal. He didn't want to command divorce. He didn't want to permit divorce. He was, but he was trying to make the best of an ugly situation broken by human sin. The option of divorce is a regrettable but necessary means of limiting the damage when God's good purpose has already been abandoned. Did you hear that? So when God's good purposes for marriage have already been abandoned, the option of divorce is a regrettable but necessary means of limiting the damage. In the, in the times of the uh, Bible, in that culture, divorce was widely accepted and practiced. So the debate was less about whether divorce was done or not done. The debate at the time was often more about what constituted grounds for divorce. So it wasn't so much of a question of, should I get divorced or not? It was a question of, well, what reasons can I get divorced for? And the conversations at the time were ridiculous, ranging from silly, selfish, silly, minor little things, some making argument for silly, minor, selfish things being enough for grounds for divorce, and then the whole range of opinion from there, And into that environment came Jesus' answer about divorce. And that's the passage we have here in front of us in Mark 10. They come and ask him, is it lawful for divorce? And if we, you know what? You know what's interesting? If we read just the few verses in front of you in Mark 10, if that's all we read about this topic of divorce, we'd understand that Jesus does not indicate grounds for or allow for divorce. Period. The simple reading of just Mark 10 doesn't seem to allow grounds for divorce. Skip down to verse 10. Look. And in the house, so this is later, the disciples followed up with him because this was such a big deal. This topic was so incredible. The disciples asked Jesus again about this matter, verse 11, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So so in big contrast 
to the culture like then and now of easy divorce, whatever the reason, inconvenient, think you don't like her, fell out of love, compared to that easy divorce culture of any silly reason being enough, we just read in verses 10, 11, and 12, Jesus' prohibition against divorce is clear and strong. It was countercultural and stunning. It was so commonplace at the time, but Jesus says, no. If you do that, you're committing adultery. So if you divorce, you remarry, then you sin. There's no ground for divorce there. I mean, think about that. If we stopped with just the few verses in Mark, have we taken this topic too casually? However, elsewhere in God's word, we have further teaching, further clarification about circumstances that possibly, possibly make divorce permissible. And I'm going to encourage you to take these verses for further study because I'm going to just quickly highlight the contents um, for the sake of time this morning. But you may want to jot down Matthew 19.9. In Matthew 19.9, Jesus makes it clear that divorce is not permissible except for except for in the case of sexual immorality. The Greek word there was porneia, from which we get pornography, etc., etc. So Jesus in Matthew 19.9 says, divorce is not permissible, except for in the case of sexual immorality. And for for, for, for clarity's sake, that would be, sexual immorality would be, any sexual activity outside of that which God has deemed good and right. And what sexual activity has God deemed good and permissible and right and good and joyful and beneficial? He has declared that sexual activity between one man and one woman united in the bonds of the covenant of marriage, enjoy that part of their relationship. And anything outside of that is sexual immorality. Jot that down. Look up that verse later if you want. Another one to jot down is 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 15. And if we study those verses, you'll see that it seems to allow for divorce in the case of of someone being deserted, being abandoned by an unbelieving spouse. There would seem to be provision in 1 Corinthians 4 divorce to be the result of someone being deserted, left, abandoned by an unbeliever, by by someone who's not a follower of Jesus. So I I just skimmed through those so-called exception clauses because I want to get to the heart of today's passage. Because I want to, we've done some hard stuff, right? This is not the most fun topic. This is difficult to talk about. It's a little bit sensitive in our lives because we all have interaction with it. I am the kid of divorced parents. We have people in our lives. We have friends in our lives. This is difficult stuff. But here's where I want to be is as we think more about this passage. We won't be able to cover every possible situation that arises in life this morning. I can't, 
I can't tell you every situation for your specifics of whether or not God would allow a, a, a divorce on a biblical grounds. I don't have time this morning, nor is it appropriate in this setting for us to consider every possibility of uh, when God might allow a divorce and if you already are divorced, in what situations might you be allowed to remarry? Those are, are, are things that would need to be wrestled with between you and, and uh, another Christian or uh, a Christian leader between you and God. But what we've studied so far in, these, in this passage this morning, everybody with me now? Here's the good part. I'm excited about this part, okay? Tough stuff. We're getting to where God's heart is. The stuff so far we've studied in Mark and in those other passages that I've mentioned tell us this, that God expects our spouses to be faithful, present, and protect us and keep us safe. And when one or more of those things is broken or missing, the Bible reluctantly allows divorce as a possible solution for sin-broken marriages. But, even if we make a case for biblical grounds, even if we make a case that that a divorce is warranted, is permissible, friends, it is not the required option. Are you tracking with me on that? You might be in a situation where the divorce is permissible by biblical grounds. That doesn't mean it's required. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote that commandment. And now, look at this. Now look with me in your Bibles as we go to verse 6. Now Jesus shifts the conversation to the right approach. Jesus takes their their sideways question, their trickery question. He takes our sometimes, our faulty questioning and thinking, what happens if this goes wrong? How do I get out of this? Jesus responds by taking the right approach We've talked about some difficult and sad things, but let's look and listen for God's good purposes. Verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, Jesus says, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two. This is amazing stuff. We're talking about two humans being united in marriage, right? In the Bible here, Jesus says, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus moves the conversation from legalities and and looking into the rule books and trying to manipulate the regulations Jesus moves the conversation from that to God's heart, to God's best. He moves things to the right question, the correct approach. The right question to ask, the correct approach to take on the topic of marriage is not asking the question, how can I get a divorce? The correct approach, the right question to ask is what did God intend by giving marriage in the first place? Why did he create it? Why did he institute the covenant of marriage? What are his purposes for us, for me, in a marriage relationship? 
And Jesus passionately answers that question in verses 6 through 9. Jesus points back to the beginning of the Bible, to the beginning of time, to the Genesis account. Jesus passionately answers those questions that are on the screen. And he says that since the beginning, friends, God's best intention, his best purposes have been involved in two people staying married. If marriage began as a God-instituted one flesh union of man and woman, then it must always be against God's will for it to be broken. Despite our fallen world, despite the easy divorce culture, despite the effects of our own sin in our marriages, Jesus calls for radical obedience to God's good purposes. I want to strive to enjoy God's best. I want to urge you to strive to enjoy God's best by committing to and depending on God's help for us to have an until death do us part marriage. And at the same time, we as a church family want to be conduits of grace. We want to be vessels of God's grace to those around us. Or, or, or even to ourselves, offering compassion and care to those whose lives have turned out lesser you know, than these high ideals. We want to we fight for marriage. We want to fight for God's good purposes. And at the same time as a church family, we want to be conduits of grace, offering compassion to those whose lives have turned out differently than God's best hopes. There, there may be relationships represented in this room where difficult questions are being asked. Where we're not sure which approach to take, what questions to ask. I'm only 42. I've only been with my wife for 20 years. I don't know it all. I haven't seen it all. Many of you have marriages longer than mine but I've been around the block enough to know that the grass isn't greener elsewhere. I've seen the wreckage of divorce. My childhood involves the pain of divorce. You might feel like it's going to solve some problems, that divorce would bring solution to some problems, but I can tell you that it'll create a whole new batch of issues. You might try to tell yourself that divorce will be the best for your kids. And I get it. You and a battling spouse are probably are no fun to be around. And it probably isn't great for the kids. But if you'll listen to a kid who comes from divorced parents, I think what's best for kids is parents who stay together, if at all possible, battling with God's help for for a lifelong marriage. That's what I think is best for kids. Some of you have already experienced the pain of divorce. But I hope you know of God's great love for you. If you've already experienced the pain of divorce, I hope you know 
the incredible amounts of grace and forgiveness that the Heavenly Father offers, whether you are the one wronged or whether you are the one doing wrong, and let's be honest, most of the time it's both. I want you to know how much God loves you and wants to carry you forward. I want to urge you to walk forward in faith, trusting God and following him. This is important as we think about this passage and this topic, and, and we preach through the Bible here. And we, when we come to a passage, we teach it. And, but I want you to know that the intent here of Jesus' teaching is not to shackle those of you who fa- have failed in marriage with debilitating guilt. That's not what Jesus is out for. Jesus is not out to make you feel guilty for where we have fallen short of God's best. The question is not whether or not God forgives those who have failed in marriage. He does. Okay? We don't have to worry about whether God does or forgive. He does. The question for us to wrestle with this morning is whether or not we as Christians will hear the unique call of Christ to discipleship in marriage. In other words, the question for us to wrestle with here as we wind down is, as followers of Jesus, are we going to recognize that following Jesus includes what he has for us in marriage? That discipleship, that following Jesus, possibly, I mean, for those that are married, this is part of our discipleship. And of course, we should acknowledge marriage is not something that is for everyone, Many of you are married. Many of you desire to be married at some point. That's great. Some of you, that may not be the case, but those that have have become into a marriage relationship, this is part of our discipleship, part of our following Jesus. And in marriage, as in other areas of life, are we as in other areas of life, are we going to look for the easy way out? In following Jesus, are we going to seek relief in, oh, it's permitted? I'm allowed technically to do that? Or are we going to commit ourselves to what is intended by God and commanded by Jesus? What might God have for us in trusting, uh, what might God have for us in trusting him and committing to being married? How might God want to work in our lives as we trust him to remain married. Marriage is an incredible tool that God has in his hands for transforming us. One of the ways that God transforms us is for those that are married, he sharpens us, he grows us, he stretches us, he encourages us, he helps, he molds us into the likeness of Christ through our marriage relationship. So I want us to be open to that. How does God want us to mature? How does he want to bring about more fruit from my life? How does he want to make more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? How does he want to make Derek be more about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control? How might God want to be at work in my life through the marriage commitment? We're going to have a chance to worship, to lift our voices here in just a moment. Let me invite you to stand. And then I'd like to pray for us in just a moment.
Check this out. They asked him about divorce. And what did Jesus do? Jesus went back to the Genesis account. He went back to the beginning. He went back to the way God created things to be, right? Right, friends? They asked him about divorce, and Jesus took us back to the beginning, to God's intent. This is Jesus' way of saying, this is the way it should be. Marriage between a man and a woman until death do us part. This is Jesus saying, this is the way it was meant to be. And you know what? It's not just some ideal that we think, oh, that sounds really good, but it's probably not really very practical or possible, so I'm not really going to pay attention. It's not that. It's not just some, some unlikely ideal. When Jesus takes us back to how God intended it to be, he's telling us that that's God's actual intended design the realistic standard to which our lives ought to conform. That it's not just some lofty ideal that we aspire to. We like the idea, but now we can't do that. That it's God's standard that our marriages must conform to. And God is with us and will help us to do that. Father God, we pray this morning for the marriages represented in this room and in our families and in our community and in our friendship circles. For those that are married, God, we pray for your working, your transforming work, your healing, your reconciling, your helping us, your shaping us as we follow you. We pray for those who are married. We pray for those who are not married. We pray for those who want to be married. We pray for those who were married. God, that all would know your incredible love and grace. That we would look to your good purposes in our life instead of thinking of what's convenient for us and what I want and what I'd prefer. God, help us to shift our focus to your good purposes and your working in our life. But it's not just our relationships where we need your help, God. We find ourselves in a broken world and and, and we are sinful people and things are not the way you intended. And so, Father, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion against you, in the midst of the pains and the hurts and the joys and the ups and downs of life, God, I pray this morning and always you would help us to come to you. God, help us to bring to you our our sin, to confess our sin, to bring to you our burdens, to come to you this morning in the next few minutes with honesty, with humility, with a desire to have you know us and for us to know you more. God, as we endure the ups and downs of life, as we follow you even in difficult circumstances, I pray that we would know increasingly that you are at work in our lives for our good and your glory. Thank you, Father, that you have come near to us in Christ, that you have opened your arms to us, that you offer the free gift of salvation through Jesus. I pray that we would come to you now, that we would depend on you, that we would trust you, and that we would follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
want to help each other point others to the treasure we found in Christ. So if you're, if you're hurting and broken within, if you're, if you're overwhelmed by the depth of your sin, it might be your attitude, your approach toward marriage, but it might be something totally different this morning that God's got you wrestling in, wrestling with. Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling, we just sang. Jesus is calling. Jesus is pointing us to God's best for us. So if this is an area of pain for you, we we pray for you. We have hope with you and for you in Jesus Christ. If your marriage is going strong and, and, uh, and, and you're depending on him, we rejoice with you for that and for many more years ahead as well. But friends, if you, if you wrestle this morning and you are aware of your sin and you are aware that you can't do it on your own, Jesus is calling. And we at Faith Evangelical Free Church want you to, to know and follow Jesus. Not just once, way back when, but today and every day. So if you're aware that you can't do it on your own, I just urge you to receive the free gift of salvation that God offers you freely through Jesus Christ. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus make it possible for us to have new life. New life now, restored and meaningful and being reconciled and, and, and with him, and new life forever. So if you need to know Jesus, would you talk to a Christian near you? Would you come and see me or anybody on staff or one of our elders? We would love to talk with you and pray with you. So I just urge you to walk with Jesus today and always. And I urge you to walk with others, having other Christians in your life that know you and you know them. So if you're not already connected to some kind of smaller group within our church family, we want to help you do that. There's there's things available now. There will be new groups forming in the months to come. So watch for those as a way for you to walk closely with Jesus. Because we love you. We want you to walk closely with Jesus and walk with others. Amen.